Hey, Godwatch people, it's Phil Gothier again with Godwatch Podcast. Uh, this week we have a, uh, a pretty good story to bring from you from a gentleman named Gordon Lehman. Uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted to bring to you a little something that you can do to help us out. So one of the things that we need is interviews. And I know you might say, hey, my life isn't exciting. Uh, nothing, Nothing's really going on. But I would tell you, if you like what we do, half the people we've ta- I've talked to have told me that. So chances are there's something really interesting that we can dig at and get to. So if you'd be willing to be a guest on the show, please drop us a line either through the website or through social media and get together and we can see if we can come up with a show together. That would really help me out a lot. And uh, like always, you could give us a review on uh, whatever media platform you're downloading from. Those always help us out too, just to keep gaining places in the rank and, uh, you know, other people listening. So with that, I think that's all I have for you on that side of it. So why don't we get into this interview with uh, Gordon Lehman? He has a great message of hope. So check it out. Thanks for being with us today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. So I know that we were talking and I was just really interested to see what kind of growth that you've had. I mean, in the in the short time that we've kind of known each other, I've watched your walk move forward in in a short period. So I kind of wondered where you came from. And so I thought, what better way to do it than have you come on the show and we'll spend some time and really get to know each other in faith. And so before we get too far though, can you let people know just a little bit about yourself? Where do you, where do you come from? Where'd you grow up? Different things like that. I grew up in the Des Moines area most of my life. I, uh, I came from an abusive home when I was younger and was taken away from my mother and her boyfriend when I was eight years old due to uh, abuse and drugs. So, so what happened to you? Did you get put into the system or what happened with you when, when you were removed from your home? We went to foster care for a very, very short amount of time. Um, and then my grandmother went ahead and got us. And she, I remember in the early stages of her uh, taking custody of us, she had to take all these classes like foster care classes and stuff like that okay. to, to be able to keep us. And uh, so that... That was kind of difficult for her oh, and sure. us as well. You know, and that's, I, I would be interested to know what that was like though, because when my parents separated, one of the things that happened was we moved in with my grandparents for a little while. And I mean, it's a very different situation because my mother was still there with us, but those bonds that I grew with my grandparents were very tight. You know, I remember. Um, you know, my, my oldest child is actually named after my grandfather um, because we were inseparable, you know what I mean? And, and I grew so much affection and, and I really enjoyed being able to have them as part of my life. And so what was that like for you to be now living with your grandmother? It, I mean, it was a big change from, from living at my mother's house. Um, so, I mean, like there was a, a lot 
more things that we got. Like, so when, when I lived with my mother, there wasn't like a lot of, you know, we didn't, the places we lived didn't have electric all the time, maybe not, you know, water or food was an issue at times as well. So, I mean, it was, it was good in a way because there was a lot more stability with my grandmother than there was at home with mom. But the, the issue was, she, me and her had a great relationship beforehand, and when she had to take over that mother role, uh, it, it was challenging on both ends for us, I think. I think it was really hard for her to have to do that, and she really struggled with it because she couldn't be, you know, a nice, sweet grandma all the time anymore. And it, it was difficult to accept that she was, you know, a whole different person. Now, now she's a disciplinarian, and she's, she's having to make sure you're on the right track. Right, exactly. You know, because, yeah, it's, my grandma's still the one that shows up with a plate of cookies and gives you big hugs, you know what I mean? But she's never had to step into those shoes, and I couldn't imagine being somebody of more advanced age and then having to step back and raise a child again. I mean, you know, it's a lot of, that shows a lot about her heart. You know what I mean? The fact that she would be willing to put away some of her needs and wants probably so that she could keep you out of the system. You know what I mean? Or keep you within a family and make sure that you're loved and you're cared for. What was your relationship with God like at the time? I mean, if you if you're in a household that's not so stable, is there faith in that time? Um, my my mother, she would talk about God and, and tell us to believe in God. We never went to church living with her. It was my, my grandmother that really introduced me to to church and faith. And we would attend a small Baptist church every week. Um, and then she, there was actually a pastor there that she really liked a lot. And I remember he had moved to Algona at one point. And we would drive to Algona every Sunday to go to his church. And, and she was very involved with it. She liked it a lot. And she, I wouldn't say she pressed us to be involved with it, but she definitely tried to set that example. Yeah, and that's good, though. I mean, you know, I remember, I remember being a kid and we'd be, you know, we weren't regular church attenders when I was a kid, but occasionally, you know, my dad or somebody would twist your arm enough to make you go, you know, and we were, we were drugged to church more than we were pressed nicely to go, but, you know, but it was good. It set that foundation for the, for the future. Um, and so, now, what was your relationship with God like? Once you finally got into a stable place, now you're attending church regularly. Did you really see that as a new way of life? Or how, how did you rationalize some of that stuff? Um, I didn't understand it at all at the time, to really? be honest. Um, I would go every Sunday with her. I would, you know, I never really, I heard what the, what the pastor would be saying, but it never really registered. I never really understood it. I believed, I just, I had no knowledge of it whatsoever. So was there like a, was it an older crowd or was it, was there younger Sunday school stuff for you to do with other kids? How, how did that work? It was a smaller church, so there wasn't a whole lot of kids there, really. So um, there, there was more of an older crowd and it, it was, was kind of difficult to, to talk to anybody about it. Yeah, I know that one of the things that I struggled with for a while 
was when things just don't make sense, right? I mean, you got questions, especially early in your faith, you don't want to seem like you're not knowledgeable, right? And so sometimes you don't know who you can ask. And I think that without a peer group, sometimes that's even harder because to approach the, the older guy down there who you kind of look up to and expect to know all these things, you don't want to seem inferior, you know what I mean? And so I think that helped me out a lot once I finally grew enough in my faith that I realized not everybody has the answers, right? And, and now you can openly discuss, hey, what does this mean? What does this verse mean? You know, what am, what am I doing in my walk that I need to change? And, and you can get that help. When did you finally start noticing that you were having a, more of a personal relationship or maybe being able to grasp the ideas of your faith a little bit better? Uh, I was about 21 when, when I started grasping it more. Okay. You know, my grandmother passed away when I was 16. That was probably the rough, one of the most roughest things I've been through in life. And, uh, and I struggled with addiction after, at that point. And it was, you know, I, I came to a point, um, I was 21 and my daughter was gonna be born a month from when it happened. I remember I got in a really bad car accident and it, it, that was kind of the moment when, when I first kind of started talking to God. And I remember I was gonna be in a lot of trouble at this point. I, was looking, I could have ended up going to prison for this car accident that I got into that was OWI related. And um, I got injured very badly in the car accident. I had a, a collapsed lung, broken ribs, and they had to take me to the hospital, the police did. And I remember as I was in the hospital, and I was starting to sober up and realize like the consequences of my actions that I, I looked up to the can light on the ceiling and I made a bargain with God right then and there. <laughs> and I said, I, I promise that I'll change my ways if you get me through this. And I well, mean, some people would say, say you know. it's different, but I instantly, um, I remember instantly right after I prayed to him and talked to him the, the next minute, a state trooper came in and said that it was Governor Branstad's inauguration day and they were gonna release me on my own recognizance, which don't really happen too often, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and I think it's, you know, that idea of, you know, you kind of making a deal with God, you know, get me through this, you know, but you didn't specify how you needed to get him through, you know? His way of getting you through this might have been, you're gonna sit in prison for X number of years, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to walk free. You know what I mean? I think that that's, I think that there's a good, a good clarification to that. You know what I mean? Because it's not, God, get me out of this trouble and I'll believe in you. No, it's, it's, God, work your plan out through me and more of a surrender than making a deal. And so I think that that's, I think that's a, a positive way to kind of approach that. So between the ages of 16 and 21, that sounds like it was a, a little bit of turmoil. So your grandma passed away when you were 16. What happened to you? I mean, you're still a minor, you're still a kid. Were you on your own? Did you go back to live with family? Like what, what was going on with you? I was kind of just out here on my own at that point. Um, that's when I first got my first full-time job doing construction. 
Uh, I dropped out of high school and just went to work and, you know, making my way through the world. Just doing what you had to do to make ends meet. Doing what I had to do to make ends meet. And then that's kind of when I started getting involved, like with drugs and alcohol, quite a bit. And went, went down a pretty bad path at that point. I struggled with addiction for a long, long time. So what, I mean, obviously, the, you know, a car wreck will, you know, open up your eyes quickly to that. I mean, was there other things that came into play where you just realized, hey, I can't do this anymore? There, there, there was a lot of things that came into play with it. I mean, just like, I mean, the addiction in general, like, I, I don't know if you can relate, but it, it wears you out, you know, to a point where you're like, I just, I can't do this anymore, but you're so so enticed in doing it all the time that you just, you don't see an end to it. It's just the routine. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I, I know what you mean. You know, it's, you get up, you put on your shoes, you comb your hair, you go out the door. Well, now you just have a couple extra steps in there and it's, that's the routine of the day. And you know that for me, at least, I remember it being an escape, you know, and, and I think back to I mean, people who haven't struggled with addiction, I think that it's hard sometimes to understand. But, you know, I hear your grandma passed, you know, she was kind of your last major anchor. You know what I mean? I, I have things in life, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, with my wife that, you know, she's that anchor for me. Like, when I get flying around, I know that that anchor is going to hold me down and you know not hold me down in a bad way but keep me keep me grounded and make sure that that i come back to where i need to be and don't drift drift off um but your anchor was gone you know what i mean and so now what do you do and so you know did that have a lot to do with you starting to move towards you know addiction and, and different substances was because of that loss or I, I would say I, would, I was probably trying to fill a void with it. Yeah. That, that would be my interpretation of it. That's um, a good way to put it. And so now you've, you've got to this age where you realize something's got to happen. What did you do? I mean, did you just start going to church? Did you just cold turkey clean up? Like, what was the steps to get you to where you needed to be? Oh, it was a process. Yeah? It was how a process. Do, how does that process start? Well, the process started, I tried to do it on my own at first. So I, I got a Bible and I kind of started reading the Bible on my own, um, interpreting my own way of, of talking to God. And, and I did, I started praying a lot more at that point. But it wasn't really until I, I started going to church and I found different people in the church who I could ask questions to, who were knowledgeable about it, who could point different things out to me and, and show me different things that I really started growing in my faith. And it, it's, I mean, it's still a process I'm working on today. I mean, I, I believe everybody is. Just those relationships and prayer and things like that, did that help you get clean, get sober? Yeah, yeah, it did actually. I mean, um, like I said, it was definitely a process. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't, I mean, more so with the, the drugs were, were the easiest thing to give up right away. The, the thing I held on to was alcoholism. I held on to that for a few more years and, uh, and that, was, that was the thing I really struggled with. It was almost, it, um, we talked about barriers before and like how we need to uh, 
break down these barriers so we can let God in. And alcoholism was the biggest barrier between me and God. And so what was it like? I mean, obviously, if you're working through that in a church setting, you have to be open and honest with those people you're working with. It mean, so how was that accepted amongst people in your church that, hey, there's, I mean, because that's a scary place. Hey, there's a new guy who's coming in, who's asking a lot of questions, who's living a life that we don't like. What was that like? being that guy so I I had switched churches a few months ago actually um, but the church I used to attend uh, I had sat down and talked with the lead pastor about it um, and he made some different recommendations that I should do like AA and different things like that and hooked me up with some other people in the church that that I, I've become very very close with some of them but um, I was warned in the beginning of being honest about my alcoholism. I was warned not to tell everybody in the church because not everybody will understand it. See, and that's something that I don't really like that. You know what I mean? Because whether it's alcoholism or drug addiction or lying or gossip or adultery or, you know, I mean, even things that sometimes we would consider to be a minor sin, you know what I mean? Like the ones that, oh, well, nobody knows. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal. But in God's eyes, they're all the same. And I think that that's so important when we step into pieces of our faith to realize that your sin is the same as my sin and we need to get through it. And so you can lean on me and I can lean on you. Even if we're not fighting the same sin, we can still help each other work this out. You know, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know how I feel about somebody telling you not to be honest about that because, you know, one of the things that, that I found that I love about my Christian communities that I'm in is the honesty. I mean, like, that's, that's where I can go and I can, you know, I mean, you have to know it's a safe place enough to feel open enough to be able to share, you know, you're not just going to, walk into Sunday school class and bear your burdens in front of everybody, you know, all the little, I mean, there's times and places for everything, but, you know, if it's a safe place and adults, you know, that's why, like, men's studies and women's studies and couples groups and small groups, I mean, those should all be places where it's so safe to be able to just be yourself, share those bits and pieces of you that are sometimes ugly and nasty, and, and we can't work through it if we don't know. You know what I mean? And you never know who's going to be the one that's going to help you. But, you know, his, his idea of like AA or, you know, different things like that, did you explore any of those? So I explored a lot of different, different avenues besides just AA. I tried uh, Celebrate Recovery. Yeah. Um, I tried Narcotics Anonymous. I tried uh, other support groups. And, and I tried to really do it on my own so many times. Um, you know, you wake up every day and you're like, I'm never going to do that again. You know, I feel miserable. Why did I say this or do that the night before? And, and it just came to a point. And when, when I started going to this new church, it really, really helped a lot, too. So AA helped. It really did. I mean, like, I got a support system there. But what really helped was when I started going to this new church and these people were not judgmental at this church at all. 
and I could be very open with them, I could be very honest with them, and they, they just extended their arms to, to show me that, that God can take care of it. God is the only one who can relieve this from me. And we started, you know, we started doing this Bible study, and, and I mean, the pastor will call me, you know, three, four times a week just to talk to me and make sure everything's going okay, and if I have any problems, I can tell him, and we could pray about it together, and that, that's when I really started noticing a difference. So, so now you said when you were 21 is when you started kind of exploring your faith. Right. How old a guy are you now? I'm 27. Okay. So six years in that ballpark. Um, how long have you been clean for? I've been clean for almost three years now. Okay. So not, not yesterday. You know, it's, it's still a process like you were talking about, but, you know, you've been, you've been on that track for a while now, so I'm good. But, um, so now you, you did explore AA and celebrate recovery. Did, did you find that, like, because, so AA has, Celebrate Recovery is a Christian program, correct? Yes. But AA also has faith-based pieces to it. Is that right? I, I've never been involved. I know people who have been involved in both, but I personally have never worked through like a, a Celebrate Recovery step program as well. Yes, it is. Okay. See, I've never been involved in a step program. So how does that kind of work? Well, I think that the steps in, it, in itself is a spiritual journey. And it, I mean, it's a, not only a journey to grow your faith, but it's a journey to look inside yourself and really find out why, why do I do this? You know, like, what, what am I holding on to from my past that I keep using this behavior to, to relive that? Yeah. And what, once, and I mean, it, it's not even just about that, it's about making amends with people that you've harmed in the past. I mean, there's just, it's a long process that, I mean, it's kind of a plan for, to live in a way. Well, and I think that, I think that's neat that, you know, you look at it like that because how many people, you know, do you see who have had tumultuous lifestyle kind of like that? but yet they don't have that system to reinstitute them into normal culture because, you know, once, once you have been so used to living a certain way, it's hard not to live that way anymore. You know what I mean? And, you know, like you talk about making amends. You know, I think back to all the people, you know, maybe I should have gone through a step program because, you know, I heard a lot of people and that idea of just acknowledging that you are responsible for the pain in other people's lives and accepting that responsibility for it. That's, a, that's an important piece, I think, because, you know, how many people push you in and out of their lives when you are messed up? You know what I mean? You, you burn those bridges and you, you constantly ruin relationships. And so, have you noticed that your relationships have become better? Oh, definitely. I mean, but my relationships now are a lot more long-term than they were in the past. And, I mean, it has to do with, with the way you treat people, too. I mean, I, I truly believe that. If you respect people, you know, 99% of the time, they're going to respect you back. And, you know, you can't walk over 
over people like like we had talked about before like with like business relationships and stuff you know you can't take advantage of people and you can't people don't want to be lied to or you know just different things you know so before when you had these relationships what were they i mean if you weren't being honest and doing things like that with them what was it like i mean what were these relationships kind of built on uh, I would say they were really, I don't, I can't really give you an honest answer to that. I mean, they were, they weren't healthy relationships at all. What was your attitude like towards them? Um, there was a lot of anger. Yeah. Anger a lot. I would, I was, had a quick temper per se. Um, and I would be, like I said, I would be very isolative. So like, I like to be alone a lot. Um, I would avoid people constantly. So now... Do you think that, what do you attribute to the change in that? I mean, is it just faith that, and the teachings and different things like that that have changed your heart towards the relationships? Or what's, what's been the catalyst for some of that? Well, a lot of the teachings and just being around people, around other Christians and stuff that I could open up to and talk to. And before it felt like uh, every relationship that I had, like, personal or, or business that I had to put on this face every day and be this person that I wasn't. I would lie about my, my life consistently, like just the stupidest things. Like people ask you like about your parents and stuff. Sometimes, you know, I would say all these things about, you know, like my dad's this, my mom's that, you know, like I came from this great two parent home and and now I can be honest and tell people like, hey, yeah, this is this is where I came from. And so I think a lot of a lot of the change happened because I could be honest and because I found a group of people that I feel comfortable being honest with. And really, I mean, it comes down to not even really caring what other people think. You know what I mean? It's about, you know, being able to be honest with yourself and most importantly, God. Yeah. And I think that that's a. That's a huge piece is just to know that, you know, we are all people and God is God. You know, there's no, you know, we walk through the days and we see, you know, the, the fancy guy in his suit and the construction worker in his hold up jeans with a shovel and there are all these different people that sometimes we don't feel that we can be accepted by, relate to, you know, and I mean, these same people are the ones in our churches, in our community groups, in these different places that we go. But when we realize that people are people and God is God, you know, and we all have mistakes and baggage and, you know, from, from the most sweet old lady to the, you know, roughest guy, we all have something we're working on. You know, there's, there's only been one perfect guy and it's not us. And so, um, with that though, like, what about your getting through things? I know you brought up something earlier about kind of trying to get through things yourself. Kind of from that line of thinking, how did that work out for you? It, it never worked <laughs> out for me. <laughs> it never does, man. So what, uh, what's been that, that process for you? So I had come to a realization like, hey, I believe in God, but I, I never trust God, really. 
And that was probably the biggest struggle I've had in my faith so far was, was the question, like I would, I would ask my pastor all the time, like, how, how do I trust God? I know I'm not doing this. How do I do this? And he would, you know, like nobody could really explain it to me. Like nobody could tell you how to trust. And then it just, you know, it, it came down to he would show me different scriptures and he would, you know, we, we had this probably for a month. We were talking about trusting God. And then I just felt like I just had this aha moment one day. And I just, man, I tell you what, I just gave him some of my problems, like almost like a test in a way, you know what I mean? Just give him some of my little problems and see how it works out. And I quit stressing over certain things and it was, it was like a load just came right off my shoulders, man. And I think, I think that that's a beautiful place though because, I mean, it is so important that, yeah, I mean, I would, I would put myself in the position of somebody asking me, how do you trust God? I don't know how I would tell people that. Like, that's faith. You know what I mean? That's get to know him, you know, but it's hard because sometimes the, the people who want to know how to trust God are not always people who are well-versed in their faith. And so how do you trust God? Well, you, you trust in his word. You know what I mean? Well, what's his word? Well, it's the Bible. Well, how do I know that the Bible is, you know, like it can be this circle that you just run and run and run and it just has to be faith. Like eventually, kind of like you said, for me, it was the same thing. Like, you know, I can't say that, you know, I just gave him a little bit at a time, but, you know, I just remember, I remember sitting down and, and just, I didn't think that life could feasibly be worse than what it was. And I just remember saying, just take everything. Like, I can't do this. And and it was the same, the same idea. Like, you just felt like a weight was lifted. And I know one of the things that, that I feel fortunate for um, in not being a person of faith since I was young was that I know what it feels like to be with God and I know what it feels like to be without God. And I know which one I, I like more, right? And so I, I sometimes think that if I had been raised in the church and I have been godly or strived for a deeper connection my whole life, I wouldn't have the opportunity to really know what it is like to live with that empty feeling and that idea that I can manage this world by myself because it, I was lonely and I was left to my own demise where I made poor decisions. I didn't have, you know, and I, I hear people say, well, church doesn't give you some sort of morality, you know, well, you should have that anyway. Well, you know what? Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need to know what I am doing is wrong. And my faith gave that to me. And so I feel fortunate that, that I haven't always made good decisions because now I know what it feels like to make good decisions. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, does that kind of relate to you? Oh, I can, I can relate to that quite a bit. I mean, before, before I really found faith, um, like I said, I found it when I was 21, so I, 
and I was, you know, kind of brought up in church per se too. And but I never really had that faith before. I, you know, I just believed that there was a God. You so, knew the stories, and you knew that there was a thing that could exist. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I guess really where I'm at now, I, I really appreciate it because I know when I didn't have God in my life, it was, it was a dark place and it was a cycle I just felt like I was never gonna get out of. And like you said, I mean, you feel very, very lonely. And that's the thing that I, I've realized too, is that, you know, like in the world, people will try to fill these voids with drugs, with alcohol, with, with sex, with, you know, what, whatever they can fill these voids with, but there's only one thing that can truly fill that void. Because at the end of the day, when you quit doing drugs, quit doing alcohol, whatever you're doing, at the end of the day, when you quit those things and you don't have them and you don't have faith in your life, there's still going to be that void there. Yeah. In, in the area that we live in, in, in the Des Moines metro, um, you know, there's been, yesterday was a hard day. And, and one of the things that happened was um, there was a young woman who committed suicide at my son's school in the overnight. And I just, my heart bleeds for it. And I don't know much about it other than they canceled school. But, you know, I mean, that's a mile from my house. And, you know, I think that that void has to be there. And it's kind of a side topic, but for whatever reason, it's just been, it's been bugging me for a couple of days. And anybody, totally doesn't have anything to do with you, Gordon, but anybody who is struggling, anybody who has that void, anybody who's feeling those things, there is help. Um, you know, suicide, if you go back, listen to episode one, it has a ton of resources for suicide. Um, please, <laughs> stop listening to this one. Go listen to that one. You're going to get more out of it. Gordon's got a wonderful story, but, you know, there are things that are, that are important. But I think that that void, you know, that you were talking about, I think that it isn't filled. And, and I see people daily in the world that just lonely sorrow filling it with emptiness food alcohol sex you know you name it i mean whatever feels good that hedonist lifestyle right and so what what do you do i mean it's you got to turn to something that can fill that hole and be there forever and the holy spirit for me has done that right um so what do you, you got yourself a new church. You're talking about that. What's your church life look like now? I mean, are you just Sunday attending? What do you, you know, you said your pastor's calling you a couple times a week. Um, but what, what does that life look like for you? Well, so I actually have kind of a, um, kind of a busy schedule with it. Um, I have, I attend church on Sundays. I attend church on Tuesday nights, and then I have a Bible study that we do at our home on Wednesday nights. And then, like I said, he, he calls me a few times a week in between there, and we, we could talk on the phone for an hour or two easily. So, you mean, you're, you're in conversation, in Christian conversation daily, nearly. That's amazing. I mean, because I wish I was. You know what I mean? I think that that's a good place to be because... Think about 
I always struggle when I see Christians who are just Sunday attenders. Well, it fills me up. Well, you know what? Get filled up as many times as you can. You know what I mean? Get involved. And, and those Christian relationships are so important that, you know, you shouldn't be running on empty waiting to go to church on Sunday and get filled back up with God, right? I mean, that should be you. I like the idea of, you know, it's like a cup, you know, and if, if Sunday is when you get filled up, how are you going to overflow into the world, right? I mean, you just keep filling that up and let that overflow reach out to as many people as you can. I mean, what what is it like to kind of go to a new church like that and then just be so engaged? Well, the thing is, I it, the pastor kind of just kind of picked me. The, the first time I ever went there, I mean, I'm not somebody who really uh, gets into like, you know, standing up in front of people and talking a lot and stuff. And I remember the first time I attended this church, um, we were talking about Jacob wrestling with God. Yeah. And he wanted to do a demonstration. And, you know, I'd been there 20 minutes and he was like, hey, can you come up here and do this demonstration? And and it's just like I felt this connection right away. Did you just hip toss him right on the ground? <laughs> no. He actually, he had me holding on to his back. And it was, you know, for, for guys first meeting, you know, it was kind of a little uncomfortable. Giving you a piggyback you know? rider. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so. Well, that's a, that's a heck of a way to meet your pastor in your new congregation. So. And, and normally, like, uh, things like that would happen to me. And I would probably be like, yeah, I'm, ne- I'm never going back there, you know. But... It, something drew me to it, and I have, I have really felt the need to be engaged here. And, and they're a smaller church, so I, I kind of feel like as they grow, you know, we can all grow together. Yeah, and I think that's, and that's so important, you know. I haven't been involved in small churches and big churches and different things like that. You know, the, in a large church, there's a lot of anonymity, right? You can kind of hide. You can get involved in things you want. You know your group of people. In a small church... You have to live into those people, and one of the things that the one of the things that stuck out to me was um, in the small church. I felt like we got loved on a little bit more, you know, because you know they knew what was happening in our lives. And when I look back, I it's not the fact that we didn't get loved on in the big church; it's that we didn't allow them to love on us because. Maybe we weren't as open. Maybe we weren't, you know, I know I was a little more reserved. You know, I had the people that I knew, but I'm not going to tell you, hey, you know, you know, I remember when we had our first kid. Hey, I had a kid. Everything's cool. Yeah, we're good, you know. And everybody, everybody was celebrating. They were happy for us. When we had our second kid, we were at a smaller church. And I did not know that you could make so many casseroles, right? <laughs> I mean, people just came and... and that was the first time that, you know, I mean, I think meal trains and things like that are pretty common in, in churches and, and different groups, but I've never participated in one. And, you know, I didn't necessarily need food. You know what I mean? I think about, you know, sure, my wife's laid up and, and we're busy, but, you know, I got two hands and, and I can try to pull a little bit more weight and, and get through this. But... Man, having those people love on me and bring me things, it made life so much easier. It, it helped manage the stress around the house. 
and it really it, it impacted me in a way that let people know or let me know that these people really cared and so I think that I think small churches are really there's a whole like that idea of being able to grow in them I think that there's a real opportunity so what are you doing in your in your midweek stuff then you got a couple days a week that you're doing doing Bible studies and doing different things like that what do those look like for you um, so the the on Tuesday nights, actually, when we attend church, it's a Bible study, too, with the, okay. with the whole church. Um, and we're a little farther along in the Bible in that one than we are at, the, at our home one on Wednesday nights. On, we are just now in Exodus on our home Bible study to where we're in Acts on our... So, so are you guys just going verse by verse through the whole Bible then, or how do you do that? Well, the, the problem is probably, I'm sure... My pastor's very wore out, but I just am filled with questions as, as well as, you know, my other half too, so. I think that that's, you know, that's neat though. I mean, so he just takes the time. Does he pretty much go verse by verse then? And, and then you can just ask whatever questions you want and he breaks it down for you? Or what does that look like? Well, we, we were doing that in the beginning and then I just, um, I, sometimes I just get so overwhelmed with this question that maybe I should wait to the end, but I'm like, oh, I don't want to forget it, and it's important to me, you know? So at times I, I, I will interrupt him, and then, I mean, he, he'll say, he calls it bunny trails. So I kind of side note this question here, and then all of a sudden we're, we're off on this topic for half hour, 45 minutes, you know? And then, so, you know, but that happens a lot. Our show's really been pretty, pretty consistent, but there's been a handful of shows where yeah, I know a couple people who call them bunny trails too, and they just go off, and, and I have no clue how they got to where they are, and then we have to come back. And, but you know what? Sometimes those are the most enlightening pieces, you know what I mean? Because especially, I think, when you're dealing with God's Word and places of faith, there's sometimes you just need that answer, right? I mean, sometimes you have a question, and you just, I, I need to know, you know, and it's on your mind, it's on your heart, and if you don't make your way through it, it's going to eat you up for all week, you know, until you can finally get there and ask it. Um, have you used notes? Do you take notes at all? Oh, I, stuff I like take that? lots of notes. Do you really? Yes, I do. So, I mean, I, I mean, come Bible study on Wednesdays, man, I'll have two, three pages in my notebook filled with questions of, of things I've been thinking about, things that I've read, and and so we'll have a, a question time in the beginning before we'll start, and then during it and afterwards. So, I mean, it's, it's very filled with questions, but I think the questions are very important. And I think it's very important that we're doing it because I, I'm not as knowledgeable. You know, I can read it all day and I don't, I don't always understand it the way he understands it. So I think it's good to have somebody who, who knows the Word of God, who, who's more knowledgeable than you are to to kind of mentor you through it, you know, and be able to... Yeah, and, and I hear that because I'll have opportunities to teach and do stuff every once in a while, but sometimes I struggle with it. Sometimes I feel a little inferior because I am not a great theologian. I didn't go to school for Bible studies. I didn't, you know, I don't have some degree on the wall. I didn't get trained by some wonderful pastor. 
all I know is the stories that God's put on my heart and the things that I do know and, and trying to take stuff from a place that I can understand it and, and convert it to what somebody else could maybe understand it and use the Bible and, and show how it really does impact life. But, you know, I've talked to other pastors and, and different people and, well, you don't understand the Greek, so how can you teach because you don't know this and you don't know that? And, you know, just when I think I'm like moving forward and I'm going strong in the teaching side of things, um, you know, well, you don't know the Greek, how can you possibly teach? And I'm like, oh, you're right. You know, and, it's, and part of me thinks it's just my own insecurities and, you know, kind of the enemy getting in my head and trying to keep me from doing the work that I know I can do. You know what I mean? I know, I know where God has put me, I know where God has trained me, and I know what is possible. And, and with that, I think there's so much that you can show. But back to, back to you kind of taking, taking notes, doing these studies. Uh, and earlier you were talking about the relationships. Have you been able to take your faith into relationships away from the church? Like, has that been an area of, of growth for you? Would you say, what kind of relationships are you relating like, to? Like, you know, I mean, in relationships that we just have in the world, you know, not all of my relationships are churched people, are not Christians, you know. I mean, some, uh, you know, some of the people that I associate with regularly are, are not churched. And, you know, not always people of faith. And, you know, I notice that I try to really live into them and, and replicate my faith for them and have conversations that sometimes are uncomfortable. Um, have you noticed that in your evolution of, of you, have you been able to open relationships and trying to build disciples a little bit easier? How does that work? Uh, I, I do that a lot. I find, you know, I... The problem I've run into with a lot of the, the relationships that I have established outside of, outside of my Christian relationships are I run into a lot of non-believers or people who are unsure about it. And a lot of people I've found are closed-minded to it. You know, like they just, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it. There's a few people that I ha have ran across, like my friend, um, he, he's agnostic. And you know, through, through talking with him about a lot of my struggles in life and like what, what led me to start believing and where I'm at and how different my life is now from believing. Uh, he, he asked, and he's the one who asked, that's what really, I mean, I, I don't know how to explain to you the feeling that I got when he, he asked me because I didn't. He just asked you about your faith? He asked me about my faith and then he, after, after we, had, we had this two hour conversation, man. It was a very in-depth conversation and, and after the conversation he asked if he could go to church, you know, and then the next day he's going to church with us and, and he told me, you know, afterwards he's like, hey, it was kind of overwhelming, but then the other night I'm talking to him and he's like, hey, I'd like to do that again sometime, you know, like I, I felt different after I went there. And I feel like it's important not to press those things so much. I mean, like we talked about with, with planting seeds. I mean, sometimes it, it, 
it gets hard to to not press them to do it because you want it so bad for them. But the important, I, I think it's important not to press them because it can ultimately push them away at times. It's it, it's God who's going to work in them, and you know he, he works on his time. It's not on ours. So yeah, you know, and it's like that that idea of planting seeds. You know, I mean, all we can do is is plant those seeds and love on them and and show them who we are and who God's created us to be. And that's on God to grow them and nurture them and, and get them going. Because, you know, I never could have come into faith by what any person would have told me. You know, I remember, I remember being, you know, high school and, well, you just have to pray this prayer. Just, just say it. And, well, what is what am I doing? You know, well, just say it, you know, and then you'll be you'll be saved. Like now that I'm an adult, I look at that and I'm like, how how does that benefit me to just say something? It doesn't. Like that doesn't help me. You know, I mean, there needs to be more to it than just me to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, it, there's more to faith than that. And and for somebody just to simplify it that much for me didn't do me any favors you know it was seeing these people who lived it out daily and seeing these people who put faith in me when nobody else would when when people trusted me and I looked and said well what is the same what is the what is the common denominator between these people who love on me unconditionally trust me when I don't deserve to be trusted and go out of their way to increase the quality of my life. They were all Christians. And not a single one of them, well, I don't know if I can say that. One of them maybe. But they didn't bang me over the head with a Bible. They didn't beg me to go to church with them. They didn't try to do anything other than present love and that was something that I had never felt before and so I kind of wonder if that's what you're dealing with with your guy you know what I mean and I mean do you guys meet on a like on a little different level I mean is he does he have a background where you guys can relate to each other well um the the biggest I mean he kind of had a a different scenario with his childhood. So he, his uh, mother was a Jehovah Witness, and he just he feel felt like that was not the right option for him, and it kind of shunned him from religion altogether. You know, he he's not he's unsure about religion. He just don't really think about it too much, and then. So then, like, so we start talking about it, and I'm not really too familiar with the Jehovah Witnesses. I'm not. I, I, don't I know have, they come to my door, and that's about it. I don't have a lot of knowledge with it, but uh, from what he he has told me, I mean, their their approach to things are a lot different than Christianity. And so, as he, you know, he he came to church, and uh, through our talks and stuff, he could see that that is completely different than what he had experienced. And, I mean, we can relate kind of, you know, similarities in, like, uh, alcoholism. I mean, he's, he was struggling with alcoholism. And I think, you know, he's tried everything, you know, and, you know, AA wasn't for him and Celebrate Recovery wasn't for him. And 
he's at a point where he's just struggling really bad and he just doesn't have hope, he says, you know. And so I think it's important to I think it's important to show him, hey, this is what happened in my life. This is the way my life is now. And I got that hope from God. I got that hope from going to church, from, from getting in this, you know, interacting with Christians more. And, yeah. And, you know, I think that that hope is such a strong... When you, when you don't have hope, where do you go? You know what I mean? Like, like that's a scary, scary place, and and the fact that you can be that little, even if it's just a little flicker of light, you know what I mean? It's it can grow, you know what I mean? And so I think it's just it's great that you're doing the work that you're doing, and and I think that you know God has equipped people to do all sorts of things, right? I mean, I like to think that. The experiences that I have gone through are not in vain. You know, I can use the negative experiences and the positive experiences and everything that God has injected in my life for His benefit and His glory, right? And so, I mean, do you see that the same way for you? Like, can you relate to people who maybe aren't, have not always walked the straightest path? Like, is it easier for you to sometimes talk to them? than it is for, you know, sometimes, you know, if you send somebody who's never been an alcoholic or an addict to talk to an alcoholic or an addict, there's a hard time relating there. Well, I think, I think that it's important to be able to relate with people, um, especially with people who, who don't have faith, because if they can't understand, if you can't, they can't understand where you came from, and what what changes happen in your life from it then how what how are they going to see ever you know what i mean i don't know what i'm trying to say with that no and i, I kind of follow you you know what i mean it's is that you can be that thing that they look to you know and not not necessarily you being the thing that they look to but you being the one who can lead that path for them you being the example you being the example that's a great way to put it um because yeah, I mean, there's so many people who can who can benefit from everybody. So I think that it's pretty positive, man. So we're coming up on about an hour here. Um, I would love to just have you somebody struggling with alcoholism. If somebody wants to move their faith forward in a way that you've kind of done? Could you take a couple minutes and just tell them what you've done, you know, I mean, other than, you know, what we just talked about, but could you help them with just a little tidbit of information just to leave with, to remember from our conversation and just give them a little bit of hope? Well, um, I, w I was in a dark place before God. I know that. And my, my life is amazing. It's not the greatest now, but my life is amazing compared to what it was before, just like with, with the way I feel every day, the relationships I have, and just, you know, waking up every day isn't miserable anymore. And, and that's because I pray every day. 
I pray consistently throughout my day. Sometimes I tell my pastor, sometimes God must get sick of hearing me sometimes because I just pray about everything, literally. And maybe not even necessarily praying, just talking to him and having that relationship. So I think that it's important to, you know, the first thing that we need to do is ask. We need to ask him for help, right? If we're struggling with something. And then we need to seek him. And then we need to knock. The Bible says, anybody who knocks, that door shall be open, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that's, that's just a, not even for somebody who's struggling with everything. I think that's just a good way to approach any problem. And, you know, I think prayer life, you know, we didn't really talk about it a whole lot, but I think prayer life is important. And, you know, you make a joke about he's tired of hearing from me. <laughs> but at the end of the day, God wants to hear from us. You know, he knows what's happening, but he wants to hear it from us. And, you know, I was talking this last weekend to a, to a couple people and, you know, and I was kind of reminiscing a little bit about how my prayer life has changed. And one of the things that I used to do was tell God what I thought he wanted to hear. And now, after doing that, I realized that all I was doing was telling lies to myself. Because God knows how I feel. And you know what? If I'm angry, God can handle that. I can tell God that I am mad. And I think that that's so... That's not something you hear all the time. You know what I mean? Like, our Father in heaven. You know what I mean? It's not... God, why did I have such a horrible day? You know what I mean? Here are the things that I didn't like that happened today. You know, ease my heart, you know. And there's so many things that that God can take from us. You know, He can handle it. We just have to give it to Him, right? So. Well, one of, the, one of the things I used to do in prayer was I would only talk to Him when, when something was going wrong in my life. It would, you know, when I had a problem or something. That was, would be the only time I really prayed. And when my, I noticed when my relationship truly changed with him is when, when I started talking to him about everything. You know, I don't even talk to him, you know, like, like you said, I can say I'm mad, I can, but I also tell him when I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I talk to him like I would any, any other relationship that I have. And I think that's very important. Because he, he's your friend. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a good way to look at it, man. So, well, I hope that everybody enjoyed hearing from you. I think that you had so many little little bits of wisdom strung in there. I think that it sounds great, man. And I'm so happy to see from where you have started to where you are now. So thanks again for being on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing Gordon's story. And just something to kind of take with you as you move through the week is just to remember that there is so much hope. You know, when you start to feel down and out and think that there are things that are just too big, you got to remember that God can take those. So with that, I hope you have hope for the week and be blessed.